Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Live from the 6th and Peabody studio and across the OutKick network, this is OutKick 360 with Jonathan Hutton, Chad Withrow, and Paul Kuharski. Out of the gates and ready to go. OutKick 360 is back on this Monday, and we are jam-packed. SEC Media Days is happening in Atlanta. We have live and uh, live interviews galore, plus some previously taped interviews that we'll get to throughout today's show from this morning session. Greg Sankey and others took to the podium. Lane Kiffin speaking now, jam-packed throughout the week. You do not want to miss a minute. We've got all of the live news, interviews, rumor mill, and much more. Trey Wallace and Glenn Gilbo on today's show from Outkick.com, live from Atlanta, uh, as well as uh, players, hopefully some coaches as well throughout the week. With Paul Kuharski, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Chad Withrow has the week off. Polly, good to see you. Welcome back, Hut. Got to good see to you last night as we did some uh, local TV in Nashville, looking live at a screen that's showing us the press room in Atlanta, which of course is jam packed with uh, with people getting a head start on what's going on in the SEC and listening to uh, Commissioner Sankey this morning and uh, and the first three coaches this afternoon. So uh, lots to talk about. Um, home run derby to watch or not watch tonight and uh the start of the captain which uh will be interesting yeah as, is that as tonight or tomorrow tonight after okay. the home run derby which looks to be contained in a two-hour window i'll believe it when i see it hit us up on twitter at outkick 360 um paul mentioned the, the home run derby we're going to recap the open throughout today's show when we can get to it uh well, i say that because coming up in about five minutes or so we're expecting one of the LSU players to sit down with us I believe who are on site. that I have bet Cam Smith seven straight majors, and I, I did not bet him on I this. I thought about you How uh, this stupid weekend. am I? I didn't know That's you didn't one of my him. guys. I didn't know you didn't bet him. And I bet him, I bet him when he fell behind on Sunday, so I won a little bit on him. And I bet Tommy Fleetwood, another one of my guys, to finish top five, and he tied for fourth, so I won a little bit. But I could have made good money if I had just stuck with my standard Three guys, Finau, Fleetwood, Smith, and bet them to win the tournament like I've done pretty much since we've been betting. Yeah, but the one time you don't. You would have cashed in in a major way. Trey Wallace uh, cashes in with us coming up in 20 minutes, uh, roughly. We're going to chat with him and have him recap everything Greg Sankey had to say this morning in the State of the Conference address. It's always the the, the one commissioner address if you're only going to watch one or tune into one. He's the one to watch because he sets the tone and demeanor for college football. There's no one more powerful, and um, he's at the top of the, the pecking order when it comes to setting the agenda for what others will follow. We will detail all of that uh, throughout the show, but uh, he came in and, and addressed uh, a lot of the issues we've been talking about throughout the entire college football offseason and really over the last 12 months from conference expansion, NIL, uh, to – uh, what they expect to do with their schedule, and much more. We'll get Trey's take on that uh, as soon as he gets out of the Lane Kiffin presser, which is taking place. Earlier today, Brian Kelly, new head coach at LSU, he was the first coach to speak to the media 
and uh, set the agenda for what he hopes will be a successful season at LSU in year number one. They have a lot of roster turnover. I believe 11 starters on both sides of the football are back this year, and they have supplemented that through the transfer portal and more. They're a lot like Ole Miss in that regard. Ole Miss has made a, a killing off of the transfer portal. LSU will as well. And uh, now it's about Brian Kelly being able to hit the recruiting trail as hard as they did the transfer portal once they get the quarterback situation. They've got four quarterbacks who could realistically play. Um, and I think realistically we're looking at a dual quarterback rotation of some sort, uh, given what Daniels can do and the, the quarterbacks that he inherited whenever he took the job. Uh, we'll, we'll dive in further with that with Glenn Gilbo. He's coming up in hour number three. And an hour from now, Jim Dunaway, one of the hosts on Next Round Live, great friend of the show, uh, longtime host out of Birmingham, and, and now uh, hosting Next Round Live. They are live in Atlanta, and Dunaway will join us to give us the lay of the land and set the stage for what will be tomorrow's appearance by Nick Saban in the Alabama Crimson Tide, the favorite to win the national championship with two Heisman favorites that are making the rounds tomorrow in Anderson and Bryce Young. Uh, Mike Bratton, SEC Mike, is going to be on the show later, uh, as will Ole Miss defensive end Cedric Johnson. Looking forward to a big show today. Uh, Paul, the Open, and Cameron Smith, um, while we wait on our LSU player, let's recap what was yesterday. I was rooting hard for McElroy. I think, you know, 95% of us wanted to see Rory win that. And for him to hit all the greens are massive, but to hit all the greens in regulation uh, and not have the putter work out so the, the way it did, uh, but he played so well yet lost. Man, this will be the one that you think in any other year you win the major. Cameron Young was 19 under. And in any other Hell of year, an eagle on he's 18. winning the Open. Except yeah. for this year with Cameron Smith. Well, like you said, with Rory, that the the first part of the formula is hitting the greens there. But they're big greens. They're so the, se <laughs> the second one of them, I think they showed eight basketball courts. Is it one, really? one of the greens there is the size of eight basketball courts. So the second part of hitting the greens there is punting. And uh, Rory just didn't putt well enough. Um, you know, so it was sad. I was happy for Cam Smith. I, I think he's kind of weird. And the haircut, I mean, is, is, is not for me. But I, I've been rooting for the guy because I've, I've, I've uh, just latched on to his story. And I like guys who putt well. And he putt extraordinarily well. Uh, so he deserved it in every way, shape, or form. But, uh, you know, for Rory to have won there would have been incredible because not just 95% of the people, but, uh, you know, maybe a hundred percent of the people there were, were oh, rooting yeah. for him. Uh, so it would have been something, uh, now he's, uh, I mean, there's some incredible stats about him. He's one of three players in the last 50 years to finish eighth or better in all four majors in a single year and not win per Justin Ray. The others are Ricky Fowler in 2014 and Ben Crenshaw, in 1987 eighth or better in all four majors in a single year and not win so he played an awfully good year and doesn't have anything to show for it in terms of hardware you know they're, they're constantly tinkering um and not always but it, it feels like recently they've been doing that in augusta you know, tweaking uh, like the 13t and, and and other things that's not the case 
at St. Andrews. That course is that course. And uh, th- that's what I love about it. There, there was a, a photo that was put up uh, yesterday on this social media. This is terrific. Uh, of the, the view at 18 in 1937, I believe. Yeah, 1937 compared to what it looked like yesterday. Virtually identical. Uh, minus, minus the cell phone and the grandstand. Yeah, the grandstand. And you know, in 1937, if they had cell phones, they've been using it. They would be using them too, um, because of the the tournament and because of the fact that you're at a place that just doesn't change That's with terrific. the times. Uh, it's it's fantastic, and it's the it's the heart of what this uh, the the Open Championship is about. That uh, we know that the Live Tour is certainly a a, a big discussion point. Um, the discrepancies in the money. If you want to see something other than just paychecks and, and money that they're handing out, uh, a great example is yesterday. Cameron Smith flying, trying to put the Claret jug in the overhead bin. Looks like a Southwest flight. And you can see him towards the uh, front of the plane. Heading to Jacksonville. Trying say. to put the, the Claret jug in an overhead bin compartment. Now, now transition to the flight of the live players who were at the open. This is inside their airplane, Paul. It yep. looks like a casino. Uh, you know, the flying spaceship. This is the difference between a player on the PGA Tour and a player on the live tour. Uh, case in point. And that's why Cameron Smith did not answer directly whether or not he was uh, being or, or sued. Uh, being on the lookout for a, a potential offer from Liv with, uh, with regards to where he's going to continue his playing. Here, I think, is the fair question. And you weren't here for our discussion of what Tiger Woods had to say about all of this last week, this kind of uh, digging in the dirt to get there and the incentive to practice and all of that. You know, I didn't get a chance to look at how the, the Live Tour guys did on the fourth day when they're used to playing three days now. And well, Dustin Johnson was a top 10 finisher yesterday. Um, but that's going to in- increase for guys. But will um, will flying on that plane and and living that life, the live tour life, ultimately lead to guys not being as good in in stiff competition at at the majors? I, I think it's a fair consideration. Tiger Woods posed it well. The the kind of scrapping and clawing and stuff that you have to do to survive in the PGA may be. I think in many cases, Tiger Woods would say it's what made him the competitor that he is to scrap and claw and win those majors that he's won, the second most to Jack Nicholas. So if, if enough of the good guys go to live, play a shorter schedule, play where you know the difference between first and fifth isn't that much, and your incentive to, to win isn't that big, your incentive to show up is, is what uh, earns yeah. you the paycheck – does it change what it takes to win? And do, you, do as many guys have it? And do we see more PGA guys win it because they are more equipped, if that's the right word, to win it? I'm curious to see if, if that pans out, plays out. So, I mean, now the PGA I, should step it up I and give guys better accommodations way. for coming home. I don't view it off of 18 extra holes. Uh, that's for, not the for, biggest thing. For guys who are going to play five or six rounds a week. Uh, and they're off now. It, not Brooks Kepka's not doing that. He was barely playing while he was on the PGA tour. Um, but you know, other guys are constantly. Other than Monday on a travel day, they're constantly playing rounds of golf somewhere. Um, so I don't think that plays much of a factor. Tiger would certainly know better than I. 
Not nece- um, that's not necessarily the biggest thing, but Dustin fighting Johnson for the had prize zero money. issues in this tournament recently. Over over time, if you grow up that way, or if you if you play years that way, I'm wondering if there's a cumulative effect. Not not to the four days necessarily, but to the fighting for the prize money, to the fighting to make the cut, yeah. that that kind of stuff. Um, <laughs> Cameron Smith fighting to put the claret jug in an overhead bin compartment <laughs> on a commercial flight back home. Uh, was too much to to uh, not read into with all that. Um, David Faraday is headed to the Live Tour as a commentator. Charles Barkley has said Seven that he meetings. is going to pick up the phone and listen to them about what a broadcast could look like or, or sound like in his mind uh, and the payment involved for what could be the future there. There's a lot of news and headlines not going anywhere in regards to the PGA and Live Tour. Same goes for SEC Media Days. Um, that we're going to get the full rundown uh, again from our guys' boots on the ground throughout every show this week. Trey Wallace and Glenn Gilbo are there from Outkick.com. And when we come back, we're going to recap exactly everything that went down with Greg Sankey. I think there's one thing, uh, one issue that he brought up and acknowledged as to something that if you are not a member of the SEC or the Big Ten, alarm bells are going off off of a comment that he made and what they're thinking about and where his focus is for the future of the college football playoff. We'll get into that, and we will hit other headlines with Trey because he's heard from Brian Kelly and he's heard from Lane Kiffin. Trey Wallace is next on Outkick 360. What's up, everyone? It's Nick Wright, and I got something exciting to talk to you about today. Angie, your ultimate destination for getting all your jobs done well. Now, Angie isn't just your average home services marketplace. It's a game changer with over 150 million homeowners served and a network of over 200,000 skilled pros. Angie has experience and expertise to tackle any project with ease. Whether you're looking to spruce up your backyard or undergo a major home renovation, Angie's got your back. And their pros are locally based, often running small businesses right in your community. And here's the best part. Angie makes the process seamless. From researching and comparing pros to scheduling services at your convenience, Angie's user-friendly platform puts you in control. So why settle for anything less than perfection when it comes to your home? With Angie, you can trust every project will be completed with the utmost care and professionalism. So get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today to discover why homeowners across the nation are turning to Angie to get all their jobs done well. Outkick has you covered at SEC Media Days in Atlanta. Outkick 360 broadcasting from Nashville. Boots on the ground, though, throughout the week uh, with live reports, recaps from coaches and Commissioner Sankey. We'll have interviews with players and media members throughout the week and much more. Don't miss a minute of it. Happens every day live with us, 3 to 6 Eastern, 2 to 5 Central, but also throughout the day at Outkick.com. 
Outkick 360 rolls on from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine and with Trey Wallace of Outkick.com, one of our SEC columnists and reporters. Trey, good to see you, man. Hope things are well. Yeah, good to, good to see you guys. Uh, it's a little chaotic. Day one, uh, we're getting rolling here, but uh, Sankey, uh, Kelly, and now Kiffin have spoke. So uh, there's been enough material, I think, for day one to get through it all. Well, I, I have saved the the and kept the meat on the bone as we recap the Greg Sankey address uh, with you. I, I want to start not with NIL or uh, conference expansion, but I thought there was one area today that I earmarked uh, for something he said about the college football playoff and the expansion in that regard. The 12-team playoff that he was discussing back in January seemed like a compromise of sorts with the other conferences. The compromise being it would include some automatic bids for conference champs. Right now, of course, it's just an at-large committee that chooses the, the at-large bids for the four teams in the college football playoff. And his tone today was, well, things have changed. And they're going, if they're going back to, re, to discuss the future of what the playoff is going to look like, then they're going to start at square one. They're not going to start with whatever these other conferences would not vote in uh, a couple of months ago. I find that intriguing coming off of the last two weeks where USC and UCLA are now at the Big Ten. Texas and Oklahoma were certainly a big talking point today. And Greg Sankey is saying, hey, we're going to go back and revisit everything. We're not going to just pick off, pick up where we left off in regards to expanding the college football playoff. Yeah, Hudden. I mean, he was talking about, you know, cutting out the automatic qualifiers and, and if there was a spot for that. And I think that when we're looking at it, at where we stood, I don't know, let's just say four months ago, or where we stood when the national championship game was going on in Indianapolis, you know, they had all those leaders meeting and they thought they could come to a conclusion on what the future would look like with the playoff. And when you had some of these conferences and some of these commissioners not agree with what they had set on uh, going into that and then had some problems with, okay, well, how many automatic qualifiers is it going to be? Uh, what, who gets in from the you know the SEC? What if they get two or three in or the big twist? There were so many problems that they thought they had handled. And then we get to a point where they just show up in Indianapolis and they're like, oh, we don't want to do this. And the SEC is like, well, wait a minute. We don't have to like play along with this game. Like we can go do our thing for the next number of years. You guys can go back and forth, and then we'll we'll come back and reconvene and talk about it later if you want to. And I think that's kind of the spot that we're in right now, where the look, the SEC is doing what they want, and, and they don't care about what others are doing because they have time with the contract, with the college football playoff contract. So they can go off and do their own thing. I, I do think that was very key from what Greg Zenke was talking about today is how do they handle this type of thing. And right now, he's worried about his conference, who he's going to let in, who they're going to vote in. And then he's just kind of letting the college football playoff just just play out like it, you know, whatever it could be. But taking out the automatic qualifiers is something very interesting to me, and especially if they want to trim down that number of them. Trey Wallace, our guest, what was the biggest takeaway for you from, from Sankey, who spoke for about 20 minutes on his own, hit a lot of different talking points of the offseason, and, and then took a, a litany of questions for about 40 minutes? You know, Jonathan, I think it was his um, his bluntness when it comes to, to talking about the UCLA-USC expansion. 
where he said, look, I was on the way to my lake house. And then I got text messages saying this was going down. And then he said, you know, I'm scrambling to figure out what's going on. Uh, you guys are scrambling, talking about reporters that were here or not here or whatever else. And it was it was his bluntness of saying, OK, look, there were talks of this that were going to go on. But all of a sudden it just happens. And it, it kind of goes back to what happened with Texas and Oklahoma a year ago. Or if everybody remembers last year, Texas and Oklahoma came out of nowhere. Houston Chronicle, bam, puts it out. Ross Bjork ends up at SEC Media Days trying to take up for Texas A&M because Texas was coming into the conference. And you kind of look at this now. I mean, he talks about it a lot, June 30th, June 30th, June 30th. And when he does it, it, it makes sense to me because of the fact that he had other, you know, I know other teams that had reached out um, to, to Greg Sankey in regards to hopping into the SEC or potentially joining the Southeastern Conference, Jonathan. So you look at it and you're like, you know, you appreciate just how straightforward he is with his answer. He's like, yeah, kind of caught me off guard a little bit. You know, I was planning on doing something. So I think you look at that. I think you look at conference realignment overall and where they're at. They're comfortable right now with their 16 teams. They are. Now, look, we we all know that's going to change. They're going to add teams to the SEC further than Texas and Oklahoma. But he's comfortable right now with where they're at, meaning they're not having to go out and search for people if they don't want to. They're having people call them. And when they do that, and when you're in that type of situation – where you've got, and let's just use a school as an example. I'm not saying they are, but when you have like a Virginia Tech reaching out, potentially, you know, trying to hop in, like those are the things you want. And he said he's fielding phone calls from other schools. So I can only imagine, you know, some of those schools wanting to hop into the conference. So I, to me, that's what stood out a little bit. He's always going to have his state of the SEC address. He's going to talk about the way things are and, and what happened in the last calendar year. Um, but uh, but I think overall, the direction of where we're going with TV contracts, where we're going with conference realignment, you're going to see a lot more changes over the next, in my opinion, the next five to six months as we get closer towards Christmas time in January. Um, college football is going to look a lot different. It won't look a lot different immediately, but it will when contracts start getting signed and everything goes another way in about four years. Trey Wallace with us, both he and Glenn Gilbo of OutKick will be with us every day this week as we give full reports from the floor there in Atlanta at SEC Media Days. I found it very interesting that he admitted that he's like, he started talking about being comfortable, uh, not being reactionary to all the, the movements. Like, hey, USC, UCLA happened to Big Ten. We didn't immediately, he admitted, he's like, I didn't immediately call for the presidents to gather because I did not want the perception of us all of a sudden convening because of what the Big Ten was doing. I, I found that very interesting because all the other conferences did exactly that. And the, the phrasing on his tone of expansion where he said, we are evaluating the landscape of conference expansion. And when he said that they are watching the movement around them and not reacting to the movement around them, and that the Southeast Quadrant means a lot to the future of the conference itself, it's hard not to read between the lines on that and think Clemson and Florida State. You mentioned Virginia Tech. 
and others from the ACC that fit that quadrant mold a lot better than some teams out west would. That's what that's what stood out to me. Yeah, if there's one thing, it's like okay, if we're talking about conference expansion, we're talking about Florida State, we're talking about Duke type of teams, Clemson, Virginia Tech. We're not the SEC is not good. look. I think getting Texas and Oklahoma, in my personal opinion, is about as far west as they're willing to go when it comes to this conference because they they they've got to stay not within their lane, but they have to stay in a in a situation where the viewers aren't getting driven away by some other schools that are joining in from out west or something like Oregon or you know or Washington something along those lines. The fact they keep it simple, man, they really can. Jonathan, they could keep it simple if they wanted to. Clemson could call up and say, hey, I want to hop in. I don't know if that's probably going to happen. Bill of Rights, whatever, and with ESPN. But you are going to have schools. You're going to have schools that are – they've already called. Miami, you know, you've got Virginia Tech. There, there have been reports out there that Duke uh, is looking to make a move. So I don't, I don't disagree with – especially the regions that they're looking at when it comes to expansion. I just believe Nick, I'm sorry. I was about to say Nick Saban, which it could have been. I believe Greg Sankey when he says, we're chill. We're not worried about it. Like it's going to happen when it happens. And when another team comes to us and they want to get in and we can all agree to it, then that's going to be how it plays out. But I think right now looking at it, Jonathan, I think they're good. They're relaxed. They know they got two teams joining probably a year earlier. It's probably not going to be like 2025. It's probably going to be 2024, maybe earlier. We'll see. I don't think right now Greg Tank and them are feeling pretty good about themselves. He said with regard to Texas and Oklahoma maybe coming to the SEC earlier than 2025, that's not up to me. Um, do we buy that? And, and is that any kind of challenge to Texas and Oklahoma to go do it themselves? Or uh, is he just saying, hey, we'll wait? Look, if they easily wanted to, Paul, you know, if Texas and Oklahoma needed some money up front to get into the Southeastern Conference, I promise you ESPN or the SEC would help out in some way. Uh, You know, their exit fee from the Big 12 and hopping in earlier, you know, which is going to be very interesting because, you know, and he was also transparent in this, this sense too, Paul. He was talking about how much Texas and Oklahoma have been a part of these meetings. Now, they weren't at Destin at the spring meetings, but they've been on the phone. They've been on Zoom teleconferences. They've been you know, videoing with other uh, um, uh, you know, athletic directors in the conference, presidents in the conference. So they know they're a part of the future. So the SEC is like, okay, we're going to let you in on some of these things. And these are conversations you're going to have in regards to what it's going to look like in five to six years. So to to me, when Greg Sankey says, "Well, that's not, whatever, it's not up to me," well, technically it's not. That's going to have to be something that Texas and Oklahoma say, "Okay, we want out. We'll figure out a way to pay the money, and then quietly then go to the SEC or ESPN and be like, "Hey, you guys want to help us out with this money? You want us in there for the first year of the ESPN SEC contract? Let's roll." I think that's how it plays out, Paul. Brian Kelly, give any indication of uh, a pecking order or preference when he's rolling through four quarterbacks at LSU post Max Johnson? No, he really didn't. He's giving everybody a chance here, and I get that. He's going to say that. Uh, I was very intrigued on what Brian Kelly would, would say up on that stage. 
a lot of people don't realize it, but it's his first media day, like presence, press conference, whatnot, uh, since 2009. You just didn't do these at Notre Dame. Um, but I, I mean, I thought he went up there and I thought he handled himself well when the questions were coming, you know, about a, uh, about a, a certain position. I think when you look at quarterback, they do have multiple options there. And I think we're going to find out in the first two weeks with all camp, which way LSU decides to go, you know? Um, but, but no, I, I don't think he was going to give away anything today. Um, even though he was a lot more open than I thought he would be for his first time, uh, at something like this. Yeah. And, you um, you know, he was asked about Notre Dame. Uh, I know Gilbo asked him about that. And then there was another follow-up to conference expansion and, and what may happen there. Uh, and, and he was asked about uh, family and the uh, the Southern accent. And, and he played that well. Uh, I thought he handled it well, all things considered. Uh, when you think about how Brian Kelly has been at times behind a podium um, and not showing much of a sense of humor, he certainly did today. I, I thought he did too. And like, it, it was, it was kind of, you know, when he, when he was talking about his accents and he's throwing all three of them into one, you know, it's yeah. like, okay, like that, that's kind of funny, but I get that you're feeling loose and you're feeling yourself and that, and that's cool. Um, because I didn't know how that would go for him here at media days. Um, just because it, it's his first one, he's around national media members. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's key when, when what he's trying to do, Overall, and look, it's all about getting your, your school out there, your name out there, and what you're going to do as a program. Uh, no team has ever won 11 games because of what they did while they were at SEC Media Days. But I think that him coming out here, putting on the best show, and saying how important the state of Louisiana is to recruiting, I think he hit on the key points today and did a good job, just like Lane Kiffin did, who just, again, decided to go off on NIL and called it like it was. I, I enjoyed it. Well, yeah, he did that, and, and so did Sankey. Uh, Sankey didn't go off on it, but he went into detail on the complications behind the scenes that make it more than just, oh, here's a simple decision because we're going to go state to state and base it off the laws. Two, two points on that. First, Sankey is pushing for federal reg regulation more than state regulation, and if he can't get it, he is going to push the states within the conference, which by 2025 will be 12 states within the conference to align and have some rules and regulations state to state on how to go about putting guidelines and guardrails up with this. Uh, I found his comments on that to be very interesting. I did too. And I, I, I'm looking to see what kind of federal regulations we're talking about here and how that's going to play out when, when we get further down the road with NIL. Um, I, I give him credit. He, he, he went in a little more in depth with his conversations on the NIL than he has in the past. Um, but he, he called a spade to spade and, and I give him credit. I, I don't know what, look, I don't know what fed, federal legislation is going to look like uh, over the next four to five years when it comes to the, the Southeastern conference or when it comes to NIL and how that plays out. But I do know that they've got a problem right now that they have to fix. And I think Lane Kiffin pointed that out really well. Um, we'll see if the federal government decides to get in on this thing. I'm very intrigued to see if they actually will. Um, but, you know, when you got Lane Kiffin coming out today and, and saying, hey, you know, somebody asked him, what's the best thing about NIL or what drives NIL? And he said, well, it's the boosters. It's like a, it's like a baseball payroll. That's exactly what it is. You're paying these players to come here. That is a man that just doesn't care. and He's not going to hold anything out. 
Um, he said NIL exactly what it is, which a lot of people are scared to say. A lot of people are scared to say, hey, thank you, boosters, for providing all this money for these players. And when he was talking about what's going to happen when you have a booster that, that pays a lot of money for a player and then a coach, you know, doesn't want to play that player. And then you got a booster complaining about it. Like, what are you going to do? So I, I think he made a lot of sense today. I think he caught it like he is he sees it, like he's done the last number of months, and today just took it to another level. Ole Miss is interesting, Trey, because they're coming off a 10-win season for the first time in program history. Kiffin, yep. uh, Kiffin has retooled through the, the transfer portal. Uh, they, they have really uh, excelled in that area, starting at quarterback, but I mean, there's plenty of, of points of emphasis across their roster there. And while you can say, well, 10 wins last year, the first time ever, they're, they're due to take a step back, it's tough for me to look at their schedule and think that they're not uh, being discussed at a greater height than maybe where they should be uh, whenever, all, whenever we are in, like, maybe the 1st of November. And the reason for that is their first seven games. All but two are in Oxford, and their toughest opponent might be, like, Mississippi State over their first seven games. It's not – it's not a who's who when you think of the SEC West uh, because they're, they get Vanderbilt within that. They've, they're playing Troy, I think, and a couple of other schools. It's, uh, they should be 6-1 and one at worst by the time we reach the halfway point. And in that regard, I think they, they remind me a lot of Kentucky last year. But is this a team that – is this a team that's going to go, okay, we're going to beat K.J. Jefferson in Arkansas – Right. Uh, how do they play against Will Rogers passing the ball so much against you know Mississippi State? You know we 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 get the Bryce Youngs and the others that they're going to have to play, and I completely understand that. What does LSU do? I it's hard for me to say here, sit here and say that Ole Miss is going to do better than what they did last year when they broke a school record, but it's also kind of easy for me to think, okay, maybe Ole Miss will come out and win nine games. Maybe they can maybe they can win eight to nine games, go to a bowl game, make that nine to ten. I think something like that could happen. I don't think this is a team that's going to be making any type of sugar bowl. Now, that could change. You get Jackson Dart in there and you're throwing him around. He's slinging it. And uh you got Zach Evans, who a lot of Southeastern Conference fans know who Zach Evans is. If he can put on a show and do his job around the country, man, this, this could be a completely different ball club than we saw last year who had to replace Matt Corral and others. So to me, I think Lane Kiffin's got a squad uh, that could cause some problems in the SEC. It's just how much of those problems are going to cause. Because my biggest thing is, you know, if you're going to be better than last year, you're going to be the same. That means you probably need to be playing in a New Year's Six Bowl or you need to be hovering around that nine-win mark. And, and I think they can do that. A lot of things have to come together first, though. Well, the lane train will be the hype train, regardless of, of Levy and Durkin not being there. They're replacing their top three or their top four. I'm going to count – I should count Matt Corral in that. Their top four rushers from last year is 2,500 yards total. Their top right. two or their th top three receivers from last year. But here's, here's how they – I misspoke. Mississippi State's not even in their first seven games. Here's, here's their start to the season, Trey. I mean, to me, it's just a layup that they are going to be the talk of the country whenever they play Alabama again. And I really don't know if we'll even know much about the Ole Miss team at that point when you consider that they're going to open up um, 
let's see. Here's their schedule. Troy, Central Arkansas, Georgia Tech, Tulsa. That's their first month. That's four and Kentucky, Vandy, and Auburn are their next three. That's one loss. Yeah. I would put one loss in there, Kentucky or Auburn. And then here's their here's the rest of their schedule. They get Bama coming off a road game at LSU. They will face Auburn coming off a road game at Georgia. We know how that rivalry goes. They get LSU coming off a road test in Florida. If the Gators are better than what we think, that's very interesting. And they get A&M coming off a road game against South Carolina. So they, they have their toughest opponents coming off of road performances. And their start of the schedule is actually very favorable. That. That to me, right there, talking about that's two losses. I can see, I see two losses right off the bat, but I could also see them flipping one around at the end mm. and pulling out a W. I mean, if I'm being honest with you, I, 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 that front end of the schedule is really nice. The back end, where you're playing teams coming off those road games, is even better, especially in the Southeastern Conference, and you guys know that. Um, I, 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 that that is a squad. I'll, I'll give you credit. Reading off that schedule. I always thought it was just going to be hard to duplicate, um, you know, the, the 10, 11 wins, Sugar Bowl and whatnot. But if they can put some stuff together and Jackson Dark can become that type of quarterback and Zach Evans can get his out of the backfield and then get down the field, man, you, Chad, I mean, I'm sorry, Jonathan, you might be looking at a, a, a 10 win type of year and, and maybe Sugar Bowl. We'll see. But um, I think they do have enough playmakers, though. To at least make some things happen, and hey, that's that's a good thing about NIL and whatnot too, right? Paul, this is me trying to convince myself that Ole Miss should not be where they were last year, but I, my brain is telling me to look at that schedule and think differently. Well, I mean, <clears throat> the schedule argument's convincing, but uh, you know, my my thing, and I'm working on something related to this, is when you have so many people, Trey, coming in, yeah. So much. I'm wondering, college football in general, how much of a challenge is it if you're using the transfer portal in a big way? This is kind of a new game. You've got a whole bunch. You know, you don't have this general like freshman, sophomore, junior growth where the senior leadership is kind of conventional as opposed to um, – I hate to use this comparison, but there, there are some uh, 12-year-old baseball teams that like have people flying in from all over the country – they don't practice together or anything. They're just excellent kids, and they'll show up at a tournament and are expected to play well together. This isn't that because they have a month together, but it's not that far off in terms of the chemistry thing. So how do you meld that team together in short order compared to the old growth thing that has some four-year elements to it? You pray that some of them come in as early enrollees, and if most of them come in in the summertime, Paul, you've got one, two, three. You've got two and a half months to get them going when it comes to workouts and trying to build up a relationship. The best part about it is, I'm going to use an example real quick, is that uh, I'm going to use a Tennessee receiver as an example, Brew McCoy. Brew McCoy has relationships already at Tennessee with certain players that are already on the roster, which I think helps out when you have a transfer player like that. It's good that some of these players can be able to do this type of thing and go to some of these schools where they already have some relationships, maybe with old high school friends, or coaches or whatnot that recruited him. So I think that's the big thing. That's how you build towards the future. We're going to see if it works because there's a lot of teams in the SEC that dipped into the transfer portal for some key players. We're about to find out real quick what that looks like coming up in the fall. 
Follow Trey on Twitter at Trey Wallace underscore and follow all of uh, his and Glenn's work at Outkick.com. All the news and notes necessary to get you through your workday that's happening in Atlanta. They've got it for you. Outkick.com. Trey, thank you as always, man. We will check in with you throughout the week and maybe later today if there's some breaking news. Yeah, I look forward to it, guys. Uh, thanks for having me on. And, uh, yeah, we'll keep you updated. Got a link if the piece coming out here in just a minute. Did Greg thank you earlier, and uh, we got a full day tomorrow. So y'all have a great one. Appreciate Fantastic. it. Thank you. Stay tuned. A lot more coming as we'll head back to Atlanta for SEC Media Days on Outkick 360. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Jim Dunaway of the Next Round Live will join us in 10 minutes on Outkick 360. We're broadcasting live in Nashville. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine for Outkick 360. Tonight, the Home Run Derby. Pete Alonzo can surpass Ken Griffey Jr. for the most Home Run Derbies won. There is, uh, maybe they did this last year. I didn't, I don't recall. And we were doing a daily bet last year with FanDuel. There is a prop that you can now bet where it is Pete Alonzo or the field. That's how confident Vegas is that this dude is likely winning yet again. Well, he's got it down. I mean, he knows how to win this thing, and he knows how not to let it mess up his swing going forward, which is the concern, which is why uh, a lot of guys pass on it, right? Giancarlo Stanton was considering yeah. it as recently as a week or 10 days ago. When, when Chad last week read off the list, I was like, uh, and? It's six guys or eight guys? I, I was eight, thinking, yeah. I, I, well, I was waiting for the names. <laughs> he never got to them. Last year, it was a big attraction because uh, Otani was in it. Um, and so that added a lot of juice to it. Other than that, I, I, I'm bored of it. I, I think uh, home run derby, uh, slam dunk contest, all these things should be put on the shelf for a little while. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Then when you bring it back, everybody's eager for it. But it's just uh, it's repetitive. And it's, oh, this is this is my favorite event though of the All Star League events. Like, and I'm not saying that it maybe they it, sped it, it, it holds up a the same bit. significance to me. It doesn't, but. I can watch. I mean, it's very simple. They have it. There's not much they have to tweak. I know they've done the bracket instead of just the yeah. one versus I think one thing. Berman's out of it, so that offers me much relief. Although he was back last year briefly, right? Yeah, but from what I've seen, I saw listings of okay. who's doing it, and he's not on it. If he is on it, I, I, I really will have a hard time watching. So they have Julio Rodriguez from the Mariners, who's, uh, I mean, his <clears throat> first half has been exceptional. Um, uh, Juan Soto, who turned down like a $450 million offer from the Nationals. Yeah. 410. Um, yeah, he's really helps the Yankees out with, uh, just, uh, with Aaron Judge. Yeah, well, yeah, no kidding. Um, and if, if, 
if Juan Soto is getting fifty million number. a year, he's going to get closer to sixty or or six hundred million instead of four ten. And nobody should pay him that number, by the way. I, I mean, I just think of the Moneyball thing where where the uh, the the character played by um, Brad Pitt. No, the the other guy, his junior guy, who's selling him on how he wants things to work. Oh, I'm and sitting in like, Chad's We're looking chair, for the for the production, not for the. The, the money and for that money is it's just crazy. Nobody should pay that much for Soto. Well, well, but then you know you mentioned the other guys who were in it. Like uh, uh, Pujols is in. That'll be cool. I mean, if he makes it out of the first round, that'd be cool. Uh, because yeah, that's he, nice that he's there. Yeah, he's he's there, and I'm sure maybe he ended up with the spot of you know that that would have been for a Yankee potentially. Um, and they've yeah, got them when seated. you've got Judge and Stanton having good years, and neither of them are in it. Uh, you know, that's a disappointment. Jonah Hill is who I was talking about. Oh, okay. To yeah. Yeah. And then Acuna. I, we'll see. Acuna's up against uh, Alonzo in the first round. So maybe a short night for him or maybe an upset. Yeah, you get plus I, I, money listen, on taking I have the field. Trouble, I have trouble betting anybody against the field in anything. <laughs> no. You got to take the field. I know. It's a sucker bet, though, when I see this. I'm like, man, <laughs> it's like me and Ole Miss. Like I, <laughs> I see their schedule. I'm like, how do you not predict over nine wins for them this year? And, and coming off the the first time they've ever done that in their school history, you don't want to bet that. But yet, I look at their schedule and I think, but they should do that again. And I look at this and I think, surely seven other guys could beat him. Yeah, the thing about Ole Miss is somebody breaks a leg, conceivably, it, no doubt. Right? Yeah. And that's the thing in football all the time. We always have that caveat yeah, right. on, on the injury thing. And the thing about Pete Alonso is like, uh, I don't know, three times just seems like a lot. The, the thing, <laughs> though, that I like about Pete Alonso. Steady as hell. Uh, he loves this event. Like, it's, um, yeah, it's it would thing. be one thing. Like, if LeBron did one dunk contest, that would be something. Right. But he's back every year to defend the trophy because, and I, for whatever reason, he's, he's totally fine. He's master. Showing up and. You know, some some would say I don't want to screw my swing or whatever. Well, he's figured out how for that not to happen. I know. Obviously, because otherwise he wouldn't have come back. But he trains for it. Like he's yeah. he's getting ready in a cage the week up week prior. Yeah, and he's got his pitcher lined up. And I, th- he, I find that got, re- I find that cool. I, I do too. I, That's refreshing because everybody yeah. is is bowing out. But I, look, there's evidence that it's messed some guys up. Oh, I can't remember I who it messed up too. the most. It, it would be it, like um, it killed somebody good one year. It would be like if you had a longest drive competition at an all star event in the PGA. Uh, yeah. Yeah, you'd screw your swing up in some way. I, I, I would think it would be relate the same way, um, especially with the launch angle and everything that these guys are after now. Coming up, we go back down to Atlanta. SEC Media Days, a lot of news and notes to hit. We have a lot more coming. Jim Dunaway from Next Round Live leads us off in hour number two next for Outkick 360 across the Outkick Network.